Hi there, I'm Graham Gardner, and you're listening to podcast number 35 from the British Society of Dowsers. Now, this is one of those spur-of-the-moment unplanned episodes that I like to throw in from time to time, and it arose through a chance encounter a few months ago when I was contacted by an American geomancer called Dan Shaw, and Dan was coming over to Europe on an extended vacation-stroke pilgrimage and happened to be flying into Glasgow, which is where I stay. Uh, Dan is perhaps best known as a Vortex researcher and has done lots of research on the world grid theories of Beth Hagen's. Uh, that's the idea that the Earth has an etheric crystalline structure based on the shapes of the platonic solids. Now, as this is a favourite area of research of my own as well, I was very keen to meet up with Dan on his way through. And as chance would have it, he arrived just before I was due to be tutoring a dowsing class, so he came along to that and learned a bit about Glasgow's geomancy, and subsequently I took him out for the day to show him some of my other favourite sites in central Scotland. Uh, Dan then went on his way and spent the winter months travelling around Europe before returning to Glasgow en route back to the States. So I took the opportunity to take him out for the day again, and naturally I couldn't let him escape without having a chat about his work for the podcast. So here's my talk with Dan. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so with me today is Dan Shaw from Oregon. And Dan, you're a geomancer and a vortex researcher? You could say that, yes. Okay. I am an alchemist, and uh, my field of alchemy is not working with metals, lead into gold and that kind of thing, but working with earth energies and the human energy field. Okay, interesting. Uh, I haven't heard alchemy applied to that particular discipline before, but yeah. Well, to my mind, alchemy is about learning about how the universe is put together so that we can better work with and in the material world. Sure, okay. Um, so how do you get into this? Through divine intervention, I would say, I've been guided by the Ascended Masters. St. Germain has... Uh, played a heavy hand, let's say, in getting me involved, and uh, I owe some high amount of inspiration to David Childress and the Anti-Gravity in the World Grid book as well. Yep. So, um, in North America, there is a ring of points around the Grand Tetons. The Grand Tetons are in the area of Yellowstone, and there's a nearly perfect circle of 19 points. Mountains and bodies of water, every one of them the largest mountain or body of water in its region, including Shasta, Tahoe, Sedona, Whitney, Lake Louise in, in Canada, and knowing that the Tetons is the center and some of those points around the circumference your listeners then can map out all 19 of those points and that was the first landscape geometry that I was introduced to and of course those are all natural features many of them do have built features on them um, but that is a massive natural landscape geometry that served as my introduction to the field. Yeah, something that uh, you have a different perspective on it than we do in the UK, I guess because we're a small island, it's not so immediately obvious you have these massive landscape geometries going on. Well, it takes a visionary to recognize pattern at that scale. All of creation has pattern to it. It's all numbers, Pythagoras would say. It's all geometry. But it was Dorothy Leon who first I shouldn't say first, who 
uh, mapped those points. But then uh, later on we found um, petroglyphs in that same design, the 19th around one, uh, in the, the area that, uh, of course, that's even older. So it's a shared vision, I think. And 19 is a number associated with uh, the lunar cycle, usually. It is, in the 19 plus 1, uh, I find it occurs many, many different places. The, more, the longer I study the field, uh, the Baha'i calendar is 19 months of 19 days. 19 squared is 361. So each of the segments, each of the 19 segments, is almost exactly 19 degrees. Um, plus you have that one over unity, which is also uh, shows up as an alchemical principle. And um, the Mayan calendar also maps nicely onto the 19 plus one mm-hmm. with the 20 glyphs. There is a significant angle that keeps cropping up in Earth energy research, which is 19.471 degrees. Well, there's the the tetrahedral yeah tetrahedral angle, angle. yeah. Too, of course. Um, so on my website, vortexmaps.com, I have one page all about 19 and another page all about 19.5. And again, those uh, canonical numbers, as John Michelle would say, uh, whether it's 19 or 19.5 or 13 and 52, that series, or the 72, 144 series, these canonical numbers. We call them canonical because they show up over and over in uh, many different scales. They show up in the periodicity of the orbits of the planets and seemingly throughout the three-dimensional universe. So how do these vortices manifest in the real world and what effects do they have? Well... I use vortex in kind of a broad, general sense, but there's I also use it in a very precise sense as well. So there's a couple different levels. The common definition of a vortex is a spinning matter, like a whirlwind or a whirlpool of water. But of course, there's the vortex of the spiral galaxy. And we're talking about, specifically, the specific use is a place where the energy is distinct, different, anomalous from the overall average energetic, hypothetical energetic field. And I have a Bachelor of Science in Geography, so I try to use energy in as rigorous a way as I can, and I'm talking about electric and magnetic and gravitic energies in particular. Um, Ions, positive and negative ions, may also have an effect. So... On the planet, that usually means that uh, sometimes it can be a volcano where the lava creates a magnetic field that's different from the surrounding field. Sometimes it can be a large body of water, can be ore and mineral deposits. It may have to do with um, the part of the molten part of the core of the Earth. Yellowstone and the Hawaiian Islands are both good examples of that. So it's a place where... The energy, the electromagnetic, gravitic energies are different from the surrounding area, and what that means is that that affects the human body and the human psyche. So uh, it's been well scientifically demonstrated that plants and animals are sensitive to magnetic fields in very minute variations, and it's been demonstrated that humans have magnetite in their brain and in their sinuses, and of course dowsing relies on 
at least in part, on this uh, subtle magnetic sense that, that humans have. So uh, there's a number of different vortex markers, um, springs, uh, as I mentioned, ore and mineral deposits lead to unique soil types, and that leads to unique plant and animal species. Often you can observe the plants growing in unusual ways, um, trees growing in a circle, tree trunks um, with a spiral going the unusual direction, not the usual direction, um, branching, uh, more branches than usual at the node, um, trunks splitting into two, that kind of thing, animals behaving in unusual ways, uh, bird migration and overwintering often corresponds with these points. A lot of times there's government, military involvement, nuclear materials, uh, often there's glaciers, uh, presidential retreats, there's uh, all kinds of markers for vortex points, high points, points of ancient cultural significance, and on and on. Do you find a lot of Native American spots are sighted on these points? Is that something they're aware of? It's miraculous to me how ancient civilizations were able to tap into to these energies and to mark these points with a kind of an accuracy that we can only just now validate with satellite technology and computers and such. And uh, Native Americans, uh, Aboriginal people all over the planet uh, seem evidently were sensitive to these energies and they were working with the energies, uh, the naturally occurring energies, by um, placing stones or perhaps through ceremony to enhance the energies there. And of course, in more historic times, uh, as opposed to prehistoric times, uh, the masons and the cathedral builders were tapping into that energy. Of course, often they were building on prehistoric sites, but they were building the cathedrals in a way that was in harmonic proportions, really, that equate to the Western musical scale. And then, of course, what happens on Sundays is that those points, those cathedrals are charged with the song and the chanting from the Mass. Yeah, that's the ancient art of enchanting the land, in John Michel's phrase. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So do these points relate to the concept of the global world grid? Well, I had reprinted, I have reprinted Beth Hagen William Becker's Earth Star Globe, which is the best known of the planetary grid systems, I would say. And it's been featured in uh, probably a couple dozen books by now. It came out in the 80s. And um, that's another example of these ancient sites, uh, natural sites, uh, around the planet that were identified over courses, a course of thousands and thousands of years by uh, widely separated communities, apparently widely separated. Um, of course, there's always the question of, did these widely separated communities all or many uh, arrive from Atlantis or some other point? The diffusion question. Um, but the, uh, the Earth Star Globe has... Uh, the combination of the dodecahedron and the icosahedron, so it's a very elegant geometry. It seems to reflect the natural geometry of the planet. The point is that it's uh, the planet itself is exhibiting this kind of natural geometry, and that those points, as you mentioned, there's also the tetrahedral geometry that's different from the Earth star. Uh, 
Bruce Cathy has studied the uh, cubical geometry. So there's a number of different geometries, uh, as many different uh, systems of categorizing vortexes as there are vortex researchers, it seems. Um, so there's uh, it's kind of holographic in a way. Uh, the vortexes, they seem to be everywhere, and there's layers upon layers of different geometries, and as you zoom in, you see, see new geometries at different scales. It's interesting. I've always found that there was more awareness of them in America than there is here, you know, like Sedona is well known for its vortex energies. And you have all those uh, mystery spots. Well, it's that is kind of funny because here, of course, the term ley lines is pretty widely recognized. Where there, people often don't know what ley lines are. Yeah. Um, again, with ley lines, you have kind of the narrow, precise definition and the broader definition that might take in other kinds of landscape geometries other than just straight lines. But um, being an alchemist, I hold that there is no separation. There's no separation between the human energy field and the planetary energy field. And so there's more than just a handshake relationship. It's really one, all one thing. And so, um, you know, uh, Tom Graves years ago in his book Needles of Stone suggested the analogy that these uh, monuments, these megaliths, were like acupuncture needles to work with the energy points and lines of the earth that were alike acupuncture points in meridians and he's um, stepped away from that a little bit in recent times because other people have taken that to kind of an illogical extreme perhaps but I am one who holds that in fact that is what we're looking at we're looking at the planetary aura the planetary chakras the planetary points and meridians and understanding people often ask the so what question and for me, understanding that subtle energy system, system of circulation of subtle energies, we can understand how it might be damaged, how it might be blocked, how we might be able to work with those energies and to help harmonize the planet. So I just want to give my complete thesis, if I can. Sure. So we've kind of covered it in several points now, and that is... There's an infinite amount of energy available to us everywhere, all the time, for our physical healing, for our psychic opening, and for harmonizing the planet. So the only point we haven't really touched on exactly is the psychic opening, and um, I think you would agree that as a dowser, uh, as uh, you practice and uh, you become more sensitized and more attuned over time, you could say that these the energies of the vortexes or of the ley lines are actually working on you, activating you. Sure. And uh, helping you develop your psychic abilities. And I would suggest that perhaps the, the converse is also true, that our presence, our conscious presence, doing ceremony, dancing, drumming, singing, chanting, being reverent and grateful at these points may have an important part to play in the psychic unfoldment of the divine being that is the earth. Yeah, well, I think many dowsers have uh, demonstrated that, Hamish Miller in particular. Is, you know. mm-hmm. I love to see how uh, the field of a tree is enlarged when we revere the tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you should do some more dowsing. <laughs> well, I, um, I do muscle testing, which you call deviceless dowsing. Yeah, no, well, muscle testing, yeah. Yeah, more yeah. Th- more than dowsing, yeah. but uh, 
I learned a lot in your class, and I intend to do more dowsing. <laughs> Should I explain for the listeners that Dan did a three-hour session, two-hour session, introductory dowsing session with me. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, because you haven't told us how you come to uh, be in the UK and how you managed to find me in Glasgow. Well, uh, divine guidance, I would say. Um, how I intended to come to the UK? Well, I didn't really intend to come to the UK, um, but uh, I owe a deep debt of gratitude to Hugh Newman, who is the conference organizer for Megalithomania. I came to Glastonbury for that in 2006, the first one in 2006, and I was fortunate to be able to come to the first Megalith America conference in October of last year, and uh, from there continued on to to here, to England and to Europe, uh, partly to visit uh, my daughter, who's teaching in France right now, and uh, of course to be on pilgrimage and to visit the sacred places and etc. And so as soon as I knew that I was flying into Glasgow, it was only a matter of uh, Googling for, I think, Geomancer and Glasgow, and your name came right to the top. And been very gracious so thanks for taking me along on these uh, little field trips yeah well i've done my best to try and show you some of the interesting spots and we're speaking to you now from one of the best examples of cup and ring marks in this in part Scotland, of England, yeah. in this part of scotland uh, this is near mochlin in ayrshire there are some spectacular cup marks on the, the cliff face i would agree they're spectacular and not just cup and ring marks but other types of marks as well yeah there was solar wheel marks um mm -hmm. other stuff mm -hmm. like that and there's a couple prints that seem to be handprints. yeah yeah fascinating sight and it's my first time here too so i'm glad i made the effort and brought you down here mm. uh did you find any exciting stuff in europe on your travels there i can never spend enough time here there, there's yeah. so much to see i was uh, particularly impressed uh, when I woke up in the middle of the night with a headache because I was sleeping basically at the foot of the Alps in St. Maurice. Uh, there's a pass through the Alps there, and uh, the Alps go up for thousands of feet on both sides, and uh, uh, the energy there, uh, there's crystals in in the hill face there, the mountainside, and uh, so that was... A profound effect, really, so so strong that it woke me up in the night, and I didn't know. I thought maybe, maybe I should roll over or, or turn around and sleep the other way to kind of balance things out. Mm. But of, of course, there's uh, there's standing stones all over, the, and even pyramids all over the planet. And so, people often ask me, "Oh, well, have you been to all the vortex points?" And I tell them, you know, there's there's no way. I haven't lived enough lifetimes to be sure all the vortex points. And people, another question people often ask is well what's the most important or the most powerful vortex point and uh, I always tell people it's the one in your heart we in fact are the most important vortex we are the center of the medicine wheel wherever we are okay now one of the other spots we've been to today was uh, a place called the electric bray which is a magnetic anomaly where the cars apparently roll uphill. And uh, neither of us were particularly impressed with it, were we? Well, yeah, you've uh, definitely uh, you know, mixed your metaphor there because it's called electric bray. Uh, we 
used the application on your smartphone, and we didn't see any magnetic anomaly in particular, did we? No. And uh, if something's going to roll uphill, that would tend to have to do with gravity. And I'd say I have definitely seen things roll uphill. Uh, So I know for a scientific fact that gravity is measured not just in the vertical axis, but also in the horizontal axis, X, Y, and Z. And so, uh, and especially like at the foot of the Alps there, uh, gravity doesn't just pull down, but it pulls to the side as well. And I don't think that's what was happening there. Electric Bray, they have a marker on the side of the road mm-hmm. that says uh, it's a very slight slope and it seems to be an optical illusion. And I don't believe that's always the case, but no. I believe there it was uh, slight or no. Certainly today, it uh, wasn't doing it in the car, was it? We just sat there. We can kind of check that one off our list. Yeah, Uh, On vortexmaps.com, I have a list of other such sites around the world, and some of them, I believe, are authentic. But you did manage to demonstrate your little portable vortex to some passing French tourists. Yes, as seen on Brad Meltzer's Decoded on the History Channel, my co-author of the book uh, I published, The Vortex Field Guide, and my co-author, Nix Nelson, has developed a device he calls the Golden Vortex, which you can see at goldenvortex.com, which is just, uh, I shouldn't say just, it's an arrangement of magnets, kind of a proprietary arrangement of magnets, uh, which uh, I call a portable vortex or a portable mountaintop. And uh, when you go to, there's some tourist attractions in the United States. I think now there's only seven that are open and functioning. But they're known variously, Gravity Hill, Mystery Hill, that kind of thing. One of the demonstrations that they show is they have a perfectly level platform. You satisfy yourself with a level that it is perfectly level platform. This is not an optical illusion having to do with the background or anything else. But you have two participants on this level platform, standing face-to-face a couple feet apart. And the phenomenon is visible to the participants and an observer. And over a period of a couple minutes, they seem to change in relative height. They seem to shrink and grow. We call it the shrink and grow effect. And then when they change places, there's an evident change in the relative eye level. People seem to shrink and grow. And I can duplicate that effect. I demonstrated that, in fact, uh, at Electric Bray, but also on Brad Meltzer's Decoded on the History Channel. And uh, it's uh, pretty shocking. People, of course, have never seen this before. And... Uh, there are vortexes everywhere, so it could be going on right now, right here, but we're not used to looking for that kind of subtle change in height or not standing still, etc. So that's pretty fun to have that little golden vortex device. And just like the naturally occurring vortexes, there are some claims for health benefits from the vortexes themselves and also from the golden vortex device. Yeah, well, certainly looked pretty convincing today, I think. And uh, yeah, you saw the effect. I saw it. Uh, those French people were certainly convinced by it. Yeah, it was quite dramatic. Good stuff. So, uh, what's next for you now? You've got all this knowledge from your your pilgrimage through Europe. Well, I'm I'm thinking of writing a book called I'm working on writing a book called Stonehenge Time Machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's possible that Stonehenge actually was built as a time machine. And so I look at the different pieces, different elements of what it would take to build a time machine and identify how those elements are all there at Stonehenge, for example. 
and at other such similar points, monuments and megaliths. And uh, I'll be working, kind of moving out of vortex research on one level and more into vortex application because I'm, I'm studying permaculture and I'm, I'm moving into working uh, with plants and animals and, and farming and raising fish in an aquaponics system. So hopefully more into the application of actually working with the vortex energies. Uh, occasionally I'll map properties for people who are developing properties and want to know what the energy lines look like on their properties and I hope to do more vortex tours in the area of the Pacific Northwest US. Hmm. Well, that's an exciting agenda. So thanks for asking. <laughs> what are you doing next? <laughs> what am I doing next? I am uh, in May this year, I will be visiting Canada and talking to the Canadian Society of Questors and the Canadian Society of Dowsers on opposite sides of the country in the month of May. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Never been to Canada before. It's going to be fun. So you might have a chance you'll be in the Rockies. You might have a chance to visit that uh, massive medicine wheel. If you tell me about that, where that is, I'll go and try and look it up. So, um, yeah, first two weeks in May, I'll be over Vancouver, up to the Rockies. Yeah. I'll make one more point since medicine wheel comes up, and that is that uh, time and space are not separate. They're the same phenomena. If you know where you are in the year you know where you are in space relative to the other planets and the sun and the moon. And the medicine wheel demonstrates that. If you know where you are on the landscape and you're watching the sun and moon rise and set and the stars rise and set, then you know where you are in, in the year as well. So the medicine wheel is pretty much same and similar to Stonehenge and other types of solar observatories and lunar observatories. Well, it's all the wheel of the year. It's all the great circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could just want to emphasize my thesis, which is that there's an infinite amount of energy available to us everywhere, all the time, for our physical healing, our psychic opening, and for harmonizing the planet. So, um... I will say that uh, I don't have all the answers, certainly. Um, I wouldn't be studying this if it weren't so enigmatic and mysterious. So I don't claim to have all the answers. Um, I'm available to share through danshaw.com, and I hope other Vortex researchers will contact me with what they're learning. I'll certainly put a link up to the website. Well, Dan, it's been great spending time with you, both uh, on your way to Europe and on your way back. Uh, It's been a great pleasure to meet you, and thanks for sharing. Likewise, Graham. Thank you very much. Well, my thanks once again to Dan Shaw for spending some time with us. Now, just before we go, if you listened to the last episode, you will remember me uh, talking about International Dowsing Day, which is happening on May the 5th. Well, interest in this event continues to grow, and I just wanted to quickly mention another event we have heard about that's taking place in the north of England. BSD member Joanne Danby is organising a dowsing day out at Long Megstone Circle and Maybra Henge, uh, both of which are near Penrith in Cumbria. Very interesting sites to douse, and Long Meg, I believe, is the third largest stone ring in the country, and it's well worth the visit. Great location. 
Uh, there is also an option of lunch at the George and Dragon pub, which is in Clifton, uh, between the two sites. There's no charge for the day, but please do contact Joanne uh, to let her know that you're interested in coming along, and also if you'd like to book uh, a place for lunch. And you can contact her at joannedanby at hotmail.com. That's J-O-N-N-E-D-A-N-B-Y, joannedanby at hotmail.com. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hanley Swan, England. For more details about the society and to find out how we can help you get more out of your dowsing, please see our website at britishdowsers.org. Do get in touch with your comments about the show and ideas for new episodes. Let us know uh, your own Vortex research. Send an email to podcast at britishdowsers.org. And you can also post messages on our forum. And you can find us on Facebook and YouTube these days. Just go to facebook.com slash britishdowsers or youtube.com slash britishdowsers. Thanks for listening. Many thanks to Hilary Brooks for the music, as always. And be sure to join me next time for more Adventures in Dowsing. <laughs> <laughs>